All right, so we'll, keep we'll, this in. Yeah, we'll start now. We're gonna because we can't. So we didn't say yo yet. So <laughs> yo, that's my best Javier impression. What's up? You're listening to the Where It Went podcast, where not only do we only ever talk about Revelation uh, records in chronological order, we never have any breaks or detours, but we only ever have myself, Jason, and Javier on. So I want to welcome my special guest co-host, Ben Merlis. What's up, Ben? Yo, I'm I'm uh, I'm Javier today, or maybe I'm Jason today. I don't know. Or you could be an amalgamation of both. So it's it's a uh, it's us today because you know, as they say, the show must go on. So I'll I'll talk about t-shirts and cassettes. I'll be both guys. I'm into both of those things. So, but um, yeah. So when we talked about doing uh, you know this podcast, I remember you'd mentioned that you're a fan of. The record we're talking about today. So why don't you tell everybody what we're discussing this afternoon? Rev 39 Whirlpool self-titled LP 1995 Revelation Records. Yup. I have one on green. I'm looking um, on green, green vinyl. That's the, the rare variant. I want to give a shout out to my friend Alex Byrne who also is on a podcast called that we were talking about off camera, uh, the nickel city soundtrack podcast. He found this in the wild for me. Uh, and I got it that way. Um, so we won't spend too much time, but I wanted to talk. It's funny having you on Ben. I was just thinking about how, you know, I'm going to date the podcast and that's okay. It happens how, you know, we just celebrated, I did. A lot of people did. You saw on the internet, the 30 year anniversary of Nirvana, Nevermind. And I first, you know, I'd seen your name around the internet. I'd seen your name, you know, back in the live wire message board days. And I never put two and two together. And then a couple of years ago, I was reading uh, Danny Goldberg's uh, book um, about Kurt Cobain. He was you know, Nirvana's manager. And I remember he mentions at one point, uh, you know, talking about your dad, Bob, right? Your dad's name. Yep. And he says something like Bob Merlis has a son that's into hardcore punk named Ben. And he was 13 and he was at this show and, you know, said something to Kurt Cobain about keeping punk alive or whatever. And, uh, you know, he gave him a shirt and I sent it to Javier. I was like, yo, check this out. And he was like, dude, that's, that's Ben Merlis. That's Bedge. And it like, I was, my mind was just blown. I was like, oh, wow. I remember that <laughs> name. So I just thought it was funny. You know, it's, it's apropos that uh, we're at the, the, you know, the anniversary for Nevermind. And you actually had a little part, a teeny, teeny part in uh, my Nevermind story. So that's yeah, pretty cool. I, you got a I shirt, met, right? Um, Didn't you get a one out of one? Uh, I I got a shirt. I got a shirt that only band and crew got. It wasn't a shirt that was for sale, and I fucking lost it or it disappeared one day. So that's a total shame. Okay, this is so, a shirt. A shirt Nirvana uh, that Kurt Cobain gave me a Nirvana long sleeve black T shirt, 
And um, that was 1991. And then I was at the Heart Shape Box uh, music video shoot 1993. And this at this point, Pat Smear was in the band. And I was like, oh, my God, Pat Smear. And I like all night just asked him questions about what was Darby Crash like? What were what was it like being in the germs? Darby Crash, I just punished him. Was he and cool? He was totally cool. Nicest guy in the world. And Kurt Cobain had lost uh key to a locket that someone gave him and it was this precious item that and he's like please find this key i need to have and we looked all over to try to find this key that we never found and we were and it's we and if you think about it i was so into asking pat smear what darby crash was like and here i was standing in front of kurt cobain who was less than a year away from killing himself like darby crash did I mean, not in the same manner, but, you know, it's like I could have been talking to Kurt Cobain this whole time. And like I would have had, you know, but you were what, like 15 or something. Yeah. At that point, I was 15. But I think um, when I was 15, if had had I been in that situation, because I'm a couple years younger. But by the time I was 15, I would have probably just been talking to punishing Dave Grohl about Scream or like DC Hardcore. Yeah. And the same thing. I talked to Dave Grohl for a second. I don't know if I was, I wasn't definitely not a Scream fan yet. Um, but um, it's funny, like Nirvana has this huge place in music history. And I got to tell you at the time when all these Rev records were coming out that we're talking about here, um, I was a bigger fan of that stuff than Nirvana. I thought Nirvana was good. And for a major label rock band that normal people even knew about, they were very good. Like, like the comp, the pickings were slim. The competition was nil, but in the grand scheme of music, all the stuff coming out on revelation records, that was like my shit, you know? And, it, and I think a lot of this stuff like far and into another and whirlpool and sense field ho- definitely holds up against, you know, the nirvanas of the world, like the household name bands of that, of that era. So and I think that's you know, part of the, kind of the beauty of it. And I would like to think too, that they would even agree to, you know, like their whole thing was like, Hey, we're huge, but guess what? There's a ton of bands like us out there that are smaller that deserve attention too. And I loved how, you know, especially as a kid, once I got into punk and hardcore, I really began to appreciate just how much they championed that stuff. Whereas I feel like some bands that would get big, they didn't like, you know, like, like I was thinking about, like, I like, you know, Blink-182, but like they would just wear like Hurley shirts. And it's like, like once in a while they'd have something, but it's like, you guys could be wearing like fucking, you know, big drill car or something, you know, like Descendants. And uh, I loved how Nirvana, it was like they, it was almost like a conscious effort to make sure any chance they got to plug um, what, what they what they could yeah like i mean chris wearing an ssd shirt when i saw him wearing an ssd shirt i thought there must be another band called ssd that could be the straight edge hardcore band from boston that right and and like you know you gradually start learning like no these people were fans of the same music as me like yeah which is cool i in fact that was the first time i'd heard of ssd but again i was 12 in 93 um and yeah, it's just it was nuts. So to see, like you know, in the in that in Danny Goldberg's book, which was a cool read, I uh, read a couple years ago. 
And, you know, just you have a, a wealth of knowledge, too, about all this stuff like we do. You're a you're a professional podcaster. You're, you're uh, I mean, are you officially so you're you're frequently on two of our favorites here at where it went uh, 185 miles south. I know it's Zach's, you know, the main guy, but like you're on almost all of them. Like, yeah, 185 miles south is a hardcore punk rock podcast um, that's run by Zach Nelson, the singer of Retaliate, a.k.a. Zach Oxnard. And a lot of it is interviews, but also a lot of it is myself, Zach, Daniel Sant, who was the singer of Over My Dead Body, and then a fourth, a kind of a rotating fourth person, oftentimes Anthony Anthony Papalardo from In My Eyes, oftentimes uh, Posse Chris from Champion, um, uh, Joe Rivas from out of trust. It's like, we talk about hardcore and we'll do it. We'll, we'll regiment it into little segments of like this album versus this album, which is better and why, or, um, here's four, seven inches. One's got to go. Which which one, you yeah, know, you guys, it's really, it's really fun. And you do these like, uh, um, elimination round type things. And, uh, you know, it's almost like what I imagine I'm, putting myself like I don't know anything about fantasy football but it's almost like fantasy football for hardcore kids or at least we did what that. I yeah yeah we did that once like create create your favorite band like uh, what bass player are you going to pick what singer are you going to pick and like uh, the other people can't pick one and we do this thing called super seven where we pick a specific either a year or a or a subgenre or a record label and we talk about or 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 a region and we pick a song we try to pick we create a seven song playlist in those parameters and then if the if one person picks a song the next person can't and um people on instagram get to vote on them once the episode is out and see who the winner is or whatever and yeah it's we did fun one, yeah and we did one on 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 revelation uh, super seven on revelation records so you have to pick Seven create seven song playlists based on records that came out on Rev, and that was episode eighty seven. If you want to go back and listen, and the thing about that one is, and this ties into this episode, I don't think I picked Whirlpool, but I did pick. I went heavy on what you call the college years because I knew everyone else was just going to pick a bold song, a Judge song, a Gorilla Biscuit song, a Youth of Today song, like. So it's it would end up being, you know, four Judge songs, four Youth of Today songs, four Gorilla Biscuit songs. It would be less interesting and informative for the listener if I just went that route. Yeah, so yours was though, fun. It was, it, was a brave, it was a brave move, but uh, I thought it was cool. And they gave me a hard time for it because they said, we know your favorite album ever is Gorilla Biscuit. Gorilla Biscuit Start Today and you didn't pick a song off that. You're not, you weren't being true to yourself. And I'm like... But I really do love all of the stuff like Into Another that came out later, you know, uh, early to mid 90s. And and if I didn't talk about it, none of you would. So yeah. and I then just it felt like it kept yeah. it exciting. So I guess speaking of Whirlpool, before we get into the interview, I think it is time to do a quick. So I just want to give my bit of bow to Ben for coming on and helping and. I want to give my bit of bow to Ben wrote a book uh, that I'm holding here in my hands going off. 
the story of the Juice Crew and Cold Chillin' Records. Um, check it out. Where's the best place for them to get this? See, I surprised um, Ben. I had no idea I was going to pull this. I had it over hidden to the side. This no, I didn't I, know. I, I assure that this wasn't his, uh, he wasn't like, yeah, I'll come on the podcast as long as you talk about my book. But I'm going to talk about your book. Yeah, I think you can get it on Amazon and bookshop.org if you don't want to support evil corporations like Amazon. Um, I wrote a book. It came out in November 2019, and it's about a record label, a hip-hop record label that was around in the 80s and 90s called Cold Chillin'. And and most of the recording artists on that label were part of this collective called the Juice Crew. And some of the names you might know are Bismarcky, Rest in Peace, um, Big Daddy Kane, Cool G Rap, Master Ace, Roxanne Shante, MC Shan, and uh, uh, the genius who then later changed his name to Jizza and uh, was a co-founder of the Wu Tang Clan. All these people were on the same record label, and it and I think it's funny. I think in terms of record labels, probably because my dad worked at record labels for you know most of his adult life, and um, so I always think like. Discord and Revelation are like the twin towers of hardcore record labels. Like those are the best. And then in hip hop, I think Def Jam and Cold Chillin. And, you know, Def Jam thrived th- until today. It still exists. Cold right. Chillin collapsed. And, and I've just thought, why, why are we, these two equally great labels have such different, um, you know, outcomes? So this is also the story about the collapse of a record label which is pretty fucking interesting. And I'm glad revelation and discord both are going strong well into the uh, 21st century. That's a, that's a reassuring thing, but definitely check it out. It's like an oral history, which they're always fun. And I think easy reads and, um, you know, give it, give it a whirl. So let's get into our interview today. So buckle up and listen. you know whirlpool there's nothing online about whirlpool you guys are um like this to me and i feel like i've said there's a few releases on revelation that are mysterious the big one in the beginning was the slipknot seven inch like couldn't find (laughs) anything online interviews nothing it was like this big mystery and we we did get all three guys from slipknot on but whirlpool's another one where apart from you know, the little descriptions on the Revelation site, you guys have two albums. Uh, there's not much online. So we're here to kind of unlock the mystery, everybody. <laughs> so I guess if you want to talk first about uh, how you guys, you know, formed, you know, the basic stuff. Usually people ask the typical first question. I know nothing super exciting. Sensefield, I know, was going at the time. Uh Chronologically, this comes after Killed for Less, so I'm assuming it was recorded after? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was I just well, I had a ton of songs. I too many songs for Sensefield, so you know. And plus, I'd always wanted to do something with a girl singer because uh, I got super inspired by you know the Pixies and just love that sound of guy girl vocals. So I kind of had always wanted to do a band like that, even when we were doing Sensefield. It kind of started a little bit when we were working at Revelation together, Rod. Oh yeah. We, we, we kind of like relaxed. He's like, I got some songs. And I'm like, okay, let's start doing something about it then, since <laughs> you got all these songs. And we started jamming a little bit, just us. Then I think we got Travis and Brandon, right? Yes. And started jamming in the garage over in Huntington. Yeah. And it just all fell together. And then we got Rachel. I <laughs> I feel like I'm not Again? I'm not a big I don't think I'm a big I mean I was on these records but I didn't really write anything. I kind of sang I feel like how I remember it is I sang what was already written. I think I was at a a place in my life where I I wasn't activated creatively like fully yet in songwriting and remembering that I can play instruments and stuff. So I was brought into some bands to sing. And um, I also remember like giggling with these guys <laughs> and, and Rodney's artwork, which I look at now well, blows my mind. It's like we, space we and everything whole, I'm into. We had this whole record done before Rachel joined the band. Yeah. So in, me and Jim always liked the joke. We sort of like blue screened her in, but like <laughs> the music was all finished in the background, and we just kind of put her in the background. But you can't tell it, you know, it blended in really well. We, as Jim would say, we flew her in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was going to ask about that because um, I superimposed. Um, Jim says hello to everybody. I reached out to Jim, and he was bummed that he couldn't make it on. He said. Um, He's, I'm bummed because I'm a big fan, not only of the music, but the people too. Uh, really creative and fun. He said, you know, hello. And he said, I love that Whirlpool was multidimensional. Not only were they melodic, but they had great dynamics with soft, delicate sections butted up against the heavier guitar drum parts. And then he did mention that Rachel, he said flew in and I'm thinking, like I'm thinking like you were you know, on the East coast or something. And they revelation sent a private jet to pick you up and have you, you know, sing on top of this. But he said that. That's um, what happened. Yeah. 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 Magical That's powers. I flew in really quick. Flew yeah. Out. <laughs> it was a green screen kind of thing. We were just projected in the background. Of <laughs> and, uh, and then when you were writing, so Rodney, how did you, how did you decide what songs were you were going to use for Sensefield and what you were going to use for this? Was it just like you kind of just knew like, hey, this song, this isn't going to work for Sensefield, but I, I can do it for, for this other thing? No, they're, it's all pretty much the same stuff, I think. I mean, the material wasn't drastically different. It was just, you know, the style was, you know, it just seemed, you know, it was a little wackier or more fun kind of like, not that Sitchfield wasn't fun, but Whirlpool just seemed a little more like, you know, just trying different things. And, but basically the, you know, the verse chorus kind of 
sort of the similar stuff that I was doing in Sensefield, I think. It's just, you know, I had all these songs that I'd written all lyrics for and stuff. And, you know, Sensefield had Chris and John, you know, coming up with all kinds of cool stuff. So it was just, we actually did, I think Building was kind of the favorite uh, Sensefield record. And it was because I was working with these guys on Whirlpool that got me out of Building so that John and Chris could finish <laughs> it up. <laughs> so it's, that was the greatest because you weren't involved so much yeah you guys yeah. saved building really <laughs> <laughs> we so haven't you, seen each other in like I haven't like looked at these guys faces in like 20 years yeah well, that's crazy yeah, well, we were like the record was is 27 years old right yeah <laughs> oh my well, god yeah I know I, I, I didn't I don't want to say it, but that's, I was 20 years old when I did it. It was, 20, it was 27 yeah. years ago. We were so young. Like, I'm like, do I, I remember this? Like, what yeah, was yeah. happening? Where was I? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I kind of just perpetually picture myself that age for some reason. So really, I mean, yeah, until yeah. I see my, until I see myself, but in the mirror, <laughs> 25, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. It's weird. I just got stuck in that, you know, like, oh, that wasn't that long ago. We just did that Whirlpool video, you know, the other day or yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, time, time is real anyway, desert. so, yeah. That Whirlpool <laughs> video. <laughs> That's so right. We know, we we'll know, talk about that. <laughs> um, oh, we're, trust me, we're going to get to that, too. Um, <laughs> so we know, Rodney, you had Sensefield. Everybody else, what, what bands, what music did you do before coming to this? I know, Travis, you were an outspoken yeah, I was in Outspoken and Mean Season at the time. So I was juggling three bands for the beginning of Whirlpool. Yeah. And three quite different bands. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Whirlpool was a nice change, you know, to not play metal, basically. You know, play some other stuff and hang out with these guys. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I was just so, in one other band uh before whirlpool and it was called cold water crane it was like a kind of skate punk band with uh ray barbie who was a pro skater and uh marshall and ben two other dudes um that was the only one i was in i've been in bands after but that was the introduction i think i was like 16 or something so yeah because jason <laughs> had said Jason, um, you know, my one of my usual co-hosts, he's like, you got to ask about, uh, you know, the band with Ray Barbie, because he, he loves, so, so how did that, how did that come about real quick? It's just a little, give Jason a little something to, to chew on. Um, well, I had a boyfriend <laughs> at the time, a boyfriend, you know, so young, but, uh, he was singing in the band and he had heard me singing in the car and stuff with him. And he was like, do you want to come down and sing on this one song for Cold Water Crane? And so I came down and sang on it. And then after that, they were like, do you want to sing in the band? And then the boyfriend stopped singing in it and I became the singer. So it was that kind of situation. And were you guys familiar with that? Is that kind of how you yeah, that's, found Rachel? Yeah, that's how we got her. We we're like, oh. That's pre she's a pretty good singer. Because <laughs> I was, a, I'm, and I was a friend of most of the guys in that band. I knew Dan and Gabe and Marshall and everyone. 
So I went to see them. I'm sure Rodney went to see them several times too, maybe before that, but I know I did. And I knew Rachel yeah. from around like the scene. You're, you know, we all had mutual friends in the hardcore scene, like the 1134 or function guys like Enright and whoever else. So we, oh, were, yeah. kind of, we, were, we already kind of knew each other a little bit, but I not remember really. feeling a little, in, a little intimidated because they seem like a legit band. So did I we? Like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> we got to be serious. We got the I girl think, coming over from a real band. <laughs> I think me and Robbie went to some party in Newport Beach one night to talk to Rachel. I think that's the first time we actually talked about it with Rachel. Because yeah. I remember you and I going over to a party because we knew Rachel's going to be there. And I think we asked you there. So weird. I don't, I just remember <laughs> at some point we were at um, one of your houses, maybe Rodney. Did we practice at Travis and Brandon's house? Was that where we practiced? We did a, a lot at Travis's Gouchard's house in Huntington Beach. Okay. Because I, I remember like one of the first times we were looking at like a Berlin record. <laughs> and and I remember you guys saying, yeah, like, sing, you kind of sound like her, like, sing like her. And I remember thinking, yes, because I love Berlin. So I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> they get it, you know. Like, <laughs> but we didn't we didn't really know each other, but it kind of just happened, you know. Like, yeah. it was fun from the beginning. It was like a lot of laughter. I, yeah. I have a Ray Barbie story. I, I went to YM, Visalia YMCA skate camp uh, three years in a row in the 90s, starting in 94. And... Ray Barbie would play the acoustic guitar and he'd write songs and he'd play them for the whole camp in front of the campfire every wow. night. Awesome. And I had no idea till years later that there was that connection between Ray Barbie and like the Revelation Records family. Cause that's all, all I was listening to was, you know, all the stuff that Rev was putting out at the time. So that was, Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. So he's would such have, a nice you guy. Punished, you would have punished him then. As they yeah. say. <laughs> but this is sort he's of he's such an amazing thing. guy. Like he's he's touched so many people's lives on so many levels, and he's so humble and just like a beam of light. Like his smile's just like you know, he's one of my favorite people. I love and he's him. got that great classic Southern California accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a cool dude. <laughs> So then, how about you, Brandon? What? what uh, well, I I worked at Domino's with Rodney and my brother <laughs> Travis, who who is not here, the bass player who's not here. Uh, so we worked at Domino's together, and uh, that's how I basically got in. You know, Travis and Rodney were roommates uh, playing music together, and that's kind of how I worked in. Uh, I'd only been playing drums for maybe a year and a half at that point. I had a a high school buddy friend and another local band called Emission, sort of a post-hardcore band uh, that I oh, was yeah. doing. So I was in three bands at that time when Whirlpool started too, but I was green as green can be, yeah. <laughs> when you worked at Domino's, was that during the uh, 30 minutes or less or it's free? Oh, era? yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> that, that seems like a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're like eventually I think they stopped doing it because like drivers they stopped because there was too many car accidents yes yeah. exactly I, I had a delivery one time where it was going to be free I rolled up to give it to the guy and he's like god dang it I waited just I don't even I'm like but you could have had it now but he just <laughs> waved me I just drove off I'm like oh well eat his pizza yeah. <laughs> so so then you so Travis had mentioned 
Travis and Rodney, you guys both worked at Revelation for a bit. It seems like a lot yeah. of people, if they were on the West Coast, I almost feel like this, oh yeah, I worked at Revelation for you know six months or a year. Now, was it early on, like Jordan, how did, was Jordan basically like, oh, you're, cause I know he, Sensefield, you know, he's huge Sensefield fan. He's gone on record of saying, was he basically like, hey man, you're doing another project. I'm in no yeah. matter what it is. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. I kind of thought, you know, well, cause early on, you know, speak of the devil. Who's here? And Jordan. Has entered. He heard you talking about him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we can we can he can tell he can tell it himself, right? Um, yeah. Jordan, welcome. We your Hi. ears must have been burning. We we just talked about how Travis and Rodney were working at Revelation and kind of how uh, you know with the genesis of the group and how I gotta say did. hi. I haven't talked to. Travis Laws or Rachel in about 10 years or more. So hello. Uh, I'm, I'm here for any questions. I can't stay the whole time. So um, sure. if you have so, anything for me, let me know. Sure. So um, we were just, we were just talking about how uh, Travis and Rodney were working at Revelation. And I basically said to Rodney, you know, I know you, you, Jordan, uh, we're a big Sensefield fan. You'd already done the Sensefield records and I just asked if it was the kind of thing where you said, hey, you have this other project, whatever you do, I'm down to release it. And Rodney said pretty much that was kind of how it went. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the specifics, but yeah, Rodney wrote, you know, probably like 70% of the Sensefield songs. So I was, I'm a big fan of his songwriting and I, I must have told him any project you have because he, not only did, you know, he did Whirlpool and he did um, a solo project. And I, and I still have this 90 minute cassette of just different stuff that he was recording at home on a four track. And it's just like 10 different bands on one tape. I had a little bit of a songwriting thing. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, huh? A little, little bit of a bug. Yep. Yeah, Plus, well, Travis, I, yeah, Travis worked there. Too. I had so much material and well I remember the early days like reason to believe if you got a record out that was a big deal so your band must be good or whatever so but get to Revelation and Jordan's cool with putting these albums out that it must be good and you know it's it was like I didn't realize that you know he was just kind of indulging me or you know with all these different things it was like you know just because the guy will put your album out doesn't mean you know the you know, you got to record 10 albums or whatever. Or but you good. did. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just didn't know he was being, it was just Jordan being a nice guy. It wasn't like, well, he thinks I'm a creative genius, but, but it wasn't like, oh yeah, this is the greatest, you know, all this <laughs> stuff's going to sell. <laughs> it was like, he just liked it all. So, I mean, in retrospect, it was an amazing deal that I got to do all that. But in uh, at the time, I was just like, yeah, more records? Okay, I got more stuff. I I don't know why I thought we only had one CD. <laughs> we put no, out two. Yeah, you two have records. Liquid, liquid Glass um, yeah. after this. I, I don't, I forget what red <laughs> number it is. I should, I mean, I should know all this off the top of my head, every catalog number, but it's, it's, uh, 
Yeah, you did. So you did two albums in a pretty short amount of time. 52. I don't, I'm not sure, but it might be 52. I think you're right. Um, Sounds familiar. But, uh, you know, it's, it's what I guess the point is this is a cool, it's a cool record that I think, you know, yeah, a lot of people may not have heard. At the time, you guys played, it looked like you played like a Ben had sent me a flyer of a, of a show that, you were at the show, right, Ben? Yeah. So I saw uh, Sensefield, Farside, and Shades Apart at the Troubadour in the fall of 95. Yeah. And I actually called Revelation Records before the show. And I asked, and Jordan picked up, and I said, um, do you think the show is going to s- sell out? And or can, where can I buy tickets? And he and Jordan laughed and was like, "This show's <laughs> this show's not going to sell out." And I'm like, oh, "Okay." So I go to the show and I see Rodney there after Stensfield plays, and I go up to him and I go, "When's Whirlpool going to play?" Because I was a huge Whirlpool fan too. And he goes, "We're playing here in December with." mouthpiece and far side and when you said mouthpiece you laughed because it was like why are we playing with mouthpiece they're like straight edge hardcore band <laughs> but i forgot about that yeah i know and, me too didn't and then i thought yeah didn't yeah and bray I, play maybe braid didn't play i don't know oh but, i remember braid yeah magic genie yeah <laughs> the, the bands that played were Suppression Swing, Mouthpiece, Farside, Whirlpool, and what's the last one I'm forgetting? Do you, do you have the, can you pull up the flyer, Greg? Yeah, um, pull up the flyer. I, I, they're the only ones I remember as well from when you <laughs> sent it. 1995. Uh, Kill yeah, Maybe Braid was just in town because I know they were there and hanging out. Maybe that's all it was. Okay, Who was okay. the, 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 was that all the bands? Did I name them all? Uh, Kill anyway. Holiday. Kill Holiday, yeah. That's uh-huh. the first time I ended up. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Being and, on and Revelation some, later. Steve. Yeah, some, right. Steve Miller from Unbroken. Someone next mm-hmm. to me goes, that's the guy from Unbroken. I'm like, oh, because I had seen Unbroken mm-hmm. earlier that year. And he's singing. Well, and he's singing. <laughs> and it sounds like post-hardcore and it's really good. And and I remember Tim McMahon, I'm going to embarrass him. Uh, yeah. At the show, on stage, Mouthpiece is the first time I ever saw Mouthpiece. He goes, a lot of the bands playing tonight are rock bands. Mouthpiece is a hardcore band. And I, I, I reminded him of that story like last year. And he was so mortified, just so embarrassed. Like, why did I say that? That's so fucking arrogant or whatever. <laughs> but it's like there, there was a distinction, you know, between, you know, these bands are playing rock. We're playing hardcore. But yeah. it's, it really wasn't that clear cut because all you guys were or most of you guys were from hardcore bands to begin with you know it's like a right. we're all band. friends and whatever yeah yeah it's like kind of funny that you say that because i feel like in my memory music during that time was like you could go to a show and you could see like all different genres of music playing on the same bill and it was awesome it was like a hip-hop band it's something i mean i know this isn't like the exact Thing we're talking about here but i feel like now there's a lot more separation or music went through a phase where there was more separation and like the label was more important but i feel like I, when i was that age everything kind of was like anything goes there was no rules like bands just jumped on and played you know what do you guys think about that 
Yeah. Well, I just re- I remember one show where this kid was like, you guys should be an indie rock band. And I'm like, I, I kind of think that's what we're doing. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, was that that aggressive like, girl in Louisville? <laughs> yeah, was it like the skinhead girl or something. Yeah, in Louisville, dude, I remember. But, that. but it was like she was, but it was nice more like about she was it, like, putting us down, like. But she was like telling bands. the truth. <laughs> Wasn't it kind of like an oh, indie band? I thought it was more like, why are you guys wasting your time here? You ought to be an indie band. <laughs> I'm like, I think that's where yeah, this is how you do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're on an independent, I mean, like you're on an independent <laughs> record label, and you're playing yeah. music. You're an indie band. Yeah. yeah, I think it was one of those labels that got lost in translation. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah. It really, indie rock. It, I mean, I you know, you go on Spotify and it'll be like top indie rock, and it's all stuff on like major labels. It's like, so what yeah. does that yeah. mean? Yeah. All the labels are totally meaningless now. To- yeah. Well, I think all labels are meaningless. Like in every avenue of life, it's like, why do we have to label anything at this point? You know. But they made, in music, they made more sense, like, in the 80s, and, you know, New Wave and punk and disco were all, like, distinctive styles of music, and then I think, well, you know, it's like electronic music came in and technology, and it's like, now all music is kind of genreless. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing, I guess. Yeah. It yeah, just no. it helps people describe it, and you find stuff that you like based on the words used to categorize things. But I think a lot of bands actually didn't get popular because they didn't fit into a slot mm. that could be easily described. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Which is so stupid, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. I think it's great to not fit into a slot, you know? Like, how well, great to not but, be able to be categorized. Yeah. It's like over time, like novelty always, you know, gets run down, right? Because everything oh. becomes derivative of something before, and that becomes derivative. Like the kids making bands today have so many more influences than kids making music 20 years ago, 40 years ago. So yeah, it was just, I think it was neat to be in a time when it was, you know, there were still separate sort of genres because once it goes away, you know, it never really, you know, and the, and the neat thing's fine too. It was just neat that punk was so distinctive from rock and yeah. roll or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And then there's just like a thousand channels within punk. And maybe that like for a lot of people, it's, you know, you start by playing exactly like the band that you like, and then eventually you move on to playing a mix of everything that influenced you. I was going to say too, like we're, we're at the point in the revelation catalog where, where there are so many different, I mean, we've done recently engine kid, ice burn, um, into another so like and none of those bands sound alike but what was cool was in the 90s those bands would play together and they would play with a band like mouthpiece or um outspoken or or you know whoever um and i think that's neat and i do think nowadays it seems like shows are more like one one thing like all the bands were kind of have the same style and that can get i mean it can be cool i guess but it can also be, it can be boring. kind of boring too yeah like it's yeah. refreshing yeah. i think to see hey mouthpiece is playing i'm gonna you know go up front and sing along and then uh stage dive but then you know whirlpool's playing next and i'm gonna enjoy that and you know bob my head or whatever people did during 
whirlpool <laughs> shows. I don't know if you had many stage divers or, you know, there was no hits. stage diving. Yeah, there no. was no stage yeah. diving. I think not at all, unfortunately. <laughs> I, we used to call it, we, I used to call it the, the baggy pants and backpacks crowd. Like, yeah, there's, kind totally. of a, there's a backpack dance you can do, sort of, when you hold your, <laughs> your uh, strap. And we got that, you know. But, and you have to yeah, we play yeah, shows with Ice Burn, yeah. We, we played a couple yeah. shows with Ice Burn and those mixed bills. I mean, thinking for the audience, how awesome that was to see. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's a big. That's a big leap of musical genres from Ice Burn to Whirlpool to yeah. whoever else, you know. Yeah, that was a good time. Farside and all you guys yeah. would play together. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, did you play? Did you ever? Did you do um, a lot of shows? Did you do shows with Sensefield? Did you do Double Duty, Rodney? Um, I don't think we ever did. Well, this is one, quite possibly one of the best nights of my life was uh, CBGB's. Oh, CMJ? uh, Yeah, CMJ, where it was Sensefield and and Whirlpool and Texas. Yeah. Texas. All the the business people had to wait outside and. Oh, it was a great evening. That was a good (laughs) night. I have the poster for that. For one night. I had the poster for that on my wall for years. Not that I went to it, but it was like, here's all the bands that I like. They played a show together 3,000 miles away. (laughs) I think think we have soundboards from that night, Rodney, if you want it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott Scott played with that show, and uh, I remember just looking up at him after the whirlpool set and he was like never never again like just two <laughs> playing two sets of songs for rock band at cbg <laughs> like, yeah 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 he's like he was all he almost died but he i think you know he just barely made it scott, uh, scott mcpherson yeah. yeah 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 luckily he played with us first so he was tired by the time he played a sense <laughs> yeah yeah that was after, after sensefield he was i'm pretty like, sure we were before sensefield yeah not doing that again <laughs> Do you remember your first show? The first show you ever played? Do you remember where that was and who that was with? I do. The Whirlpool show? Yeah. Yeah. Was it not the Kuza Palooza? Kuza Palooza? Kuza Cafe? Cafe? Maybe so. Kuza Cafe, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kuza Cafe. Yeah. I think that was our first, maybe one of our first shows. I love that. Probably. Or I think the first show played. Yeah, I think the four piece before Rachel we played. Shop. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. But we yeah. played oh, yeah. Coos Cafe. I was there at Coos Cafe, yes. wasn't yeah. I? Oh, yeah, we played. Yeah, we played, yeah, we played there a few times. Okay. We also played that club in Yorba Linda. Club um, three six nine. Eight and a half or three six oh, nine or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 that's yeah, yeah. right. Yes. Definitely played like that. I, and saw a cold water crane there as well. Back to that. I think we played with like Rage Against the Machine one night. Cold water crane and I, or inside out. Yeah, I remember everybody was or talking about that. Yeah, was and it maybe I, the inside out reunion time with the? That would have been ninety three when they did the maybe shows because Ice Burn was on. I think some of those, if I'm not mistaken. It sounds so, about right. I can't remember. Yeah. Mm. So when this came out, did you guys did you guys do like a full U.S. tour on this first record? No, we didn't do the full U.S. tour till the second record. Second record, yeah. 
because we did that in summer 95 and i don't know if the second record was out yet or not but we were definitely playing those songs that was a fun yeah. tour yeah did you play the, the, here in philly did you play philly no we didn't play philly um new york i remember playing john hiltz's basement in somewhere okay. in new jersey I remember. Oh, yeah, that. That's remember a legendary that? basement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. John Hiltz's with um, we played with Ice. We were kind of on tour with Iceburn and Engine Kid at the time. We were playing a bunch of shows with Ice Iceburn and Engine Kid, and then Dahlia Seed was on that show as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> and just like and what was that band that um, I think it was in Washington D.C. Elena was the singer. Oh, Ashes. 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 Oh, yeah. oh man, Javier's yeah, going right. to be so bummed that he's not on this interview. To, to that was like the only Ashes. other girl on the whole tour. I was like, Elena! Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I wanted to ask, like, what, what that was like. I mean, honestly, this is the, is this not the first revelation release with a, like, with a, a, a female in the band? Might be, right, Ben? Yeah, I think I think so, man. That's man, that's pathetic. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> we're gonna have to look at the records, but I think I think you're right. Probably wow. right. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I didn't really think about it at the time until mm. we went to Washington and met Elena, and I remember thinking, "Oh my god, there's another girl here. This is amazing." You know, we I mean, it's fun to hang out with dudes, but <laughs> yeah, it's nice you, to have are you female still in- energy in the mix. Are you still in touch with her, Rachel? Uh, Because I think she lives in L.A. now. No, but, you know, like, God, probably maybe eight years ago or something, um, when I still lived in L.A., I was at the Edendale, which is like a bar slash restaurant there. And outside, there's like a photo booth. People can get like um, strips of photos. So everyone's always in line for that once they get. (laughs) And um we were looking at each other and I was like, I feel like I know you. And she said the same thing. And then we figured out who we were and we just ran into each other and chatted for like an, a good hour and then went our separate ways. But that's the only time I've seen her since, but it was definitely like a serendipitous moment to meet her because of the music that she shared with me that she was into at that time. And, you know, every time someone shares new music with you that you haven't heard that resonates, it's like a life changer. So what stuff was it? Well, she, Annie DeFranco was, I had never heard, and she was playing me a ton of stuff from her. So that put me on a whole other trajectory of female voices that were doing something different. Because, you know, this scene was very specific and male dominant, like a lot of scenes, but there was more melody and other things. And so it kind of opened up my um, musical taste. I have, you know? I have- this is an appropriate story, but I always thought it was funny. I mean, just talking about girls and bands and, uh, Rachel had like a, a bathing suit or something hanging from the mirror to dry <laughs> in our band. Oh, man. And the guy from Edge, the guy from Engine Kids is like, that's not right. You can't. I have think that. Greg, I think it was Greg <laughs> Anderson. <laughs> he probably didn't you know, say that to me. He probably said it to you no, guys, right? No, it was just, yeah, it was just. Yeah, like, you weren't you there. Have, <laughs> I mean, there was so much hanging from the mirror in your tour van. Like it was just funny. Like he was kidding, but it was just, you know, yeah, like your Motley Crew or something. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I get, I and 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 you know, we've talked to Greg a couple times. He's super funny. I mean, that's 
that's a cool lineup. Engine Kid, yeah. Iceburn, Whirlpool, like because none of the bands sound alike. And yeah. uh, you're all doing, you know, but but everybody came from this same scene. I mean, it had to be an exciting time. Uh, and it was yeah. very like connected, Hare Krishna connected, like right. hardcore scene and Hare Krishna, like a lot of vegan and vegetarian food that was free, like on paper plates and everywhere we stayed had Krishna. Like, do you guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Christmas yeah. I mean, I, yeah. it's interesting how they segued. Did any band called band called Hoover? Yeah, from yeah. DC. I love Hoover. I think I saw them. I saw them at John Hilt's basement, and you know it's tiny. And I remember that being one of the most intense shows I've ever seen. Like they were super, mm. super tight, right? Like, oh yeah, I just that just had a flashback memory of that. I was like, man, this is this is just the best band I've ever seen. Like it was. <laughs> plus, you were there like five feet away from them, you know, like surrounded by them. It's like they're sweating on record. you, yeah. I stand by that record. That's a great record. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Lurid travels traversals of Route Seven or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I have it. I don't yeah. know. It's name. still great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that was a cool time because, like, you got you know play with a band like that and with you know I just think there was so much variety and stuff. Well, just yeah. like yeah. the bands, just the bands you named. I mean, Iceburn, Idgin Kid, and Whirlpool. Nobody else sounds like any of, I mean, those, those bands are so unique. Like who sounds like Iceberg? Like who sounds like, Indian? yeah, they're all, they're all very distinct, not influenced by other things, you know what I mean? which is cool. Yeah. Very unique. I, well, not, but I was, I was super into Rocket from the Crypt early on when I think they yeah. had a little singer for a little bit. And that was kind of like, because I, you know, in my head, I'm like, I just want to do like a heavy Pixies, like the Pixies only <laughs> with Nirvana level guitars or, you know, that was just kind of the, you know, basic thing I had. And so, yeah, that. Uh, I don't uh, think I thought about that. It was all guys and then a girl <laughs> or the babies or any of that. I think I was just like, I was so young and well, we were all so young and we were getting to see the world and like play music in basements and like sleep on the floor. And there might be some fleas, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was just like a life experience. It was almost like you catch up later with all of the um, important factors that pop out, you know, it's just kind of like you're just, yeah, that's how I felt. Well, anyway. I was just like, this is, whoa, this is happening. Here we are. What we're in a van and what we're on the roof of a New York apartment. And, you know, like, yeah, not to get, you know, not to get into any detail, but a van full of guys on the road can get, you know, the conversation can get <clears throat> depraved or just, you know, unsavory. And it's like having you there, Rachel there, like that was one of the like most pleasant sort of like, you know, just kind of like nice tours. Cause you know, I'm not, you know, saying I'm better than anybody else, but you know, a bunch of guys in a van for a long time. It's just conversation. <laughs> Downward spiral, yeah. real fast. And it was nice, like <laughs> and beyond nice conversation. It, yeah, it, it kind of made us above all that a little bit. It was like, yeah, we got to be, you know, we can't be totally depraved. We got a girl. <laughs> Good, keep it My product. Now. <laughs> how did people? How did people react to you guys at shows? Like, 
Like, did you get, uh, what kind of response did you get? Did you have people coming up and afterwards and, you know, talking about how much they liked the, this record and. Yeah. I mean, just, kind of we're kind of confused at first, I think. Like it's weird. Cause you know, revelation at this point had already done, like we talked about, we, we call it on here, the college years. Like we're in the college yeah. years now. Like you have like the early stuff was like, you know, high school and then this is college <laughs> like your engine kid ice burn into another whirlpool and, i love how um, like revelations catalog if you're bored at the right time could almost fit your like musical evolution like <laughs> from high school into the super hardcore and then get to college and it's far side and uh, yeah, you know exactly yeah like, if, you, if you find it right <laughs> yeah you would have had to graduate High school in 1990. So if you were born in 1972, it would line up perfectly. <laughs> so I was too late. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> I was class of '96. So I was listening to the college years and the high school years in high school. Yeah. So, yeah. And like I was 90. So I remember when Start Today came out when I was like a junior, and that was just the best thing ever. The Gorilla Biscuits LP. Yeah. But it's and funny. then the inside out seven followed the uh, followed the schedule of the people growing up themselves, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, like the the fans of the label could kind of just grow with the label. Like that's how that's what I said. You know, talking about way down the line, there was a a band that did a seven inch with Revelation, uh, title fight, and I said I think part of what worked for that band was that the age they were their fans grew with them so it was like whereas sometimes i think if bands change a lot people aren't along for the ride but like with title fight it's like they started out playing this like pop punky stuff but then their fans were like the same age as they were and kind of had the same trajectory where you know they ended up being like almost shoegaze and it was like okay because they, they yeah. um, 10 years they were banned everyone grew 10 years um what's weird too is like i can imagine it's kind of odd for me to think that there were still probably people out there that like see the rev star even at this point and don't think that it's going to sound anything like what you guys sound like which to me again is just weird because at this point we're at 39 and you know the college years started like 15 releases ago or something. I have a question. <laughs> We're just taking it, it in. We're just I just dropped it. In. <laughs> right. Um, Rodney, you wrote all the music and the lyrics for this album or is it, uh, did other people write some of it? Like just the basic, well, I think so. All the lyrics and then the basic, yeah. like the chord progressions and stuff. And then we worked everything out as a band, you know, so we, I, I just, just have added a whatever guitar and Trav wrote the bass lines, obviously, but I can't remember if I wrote or changed any lyrics. Did I Rodney or did you write them all? I can't remember. On this, on, on liquid glass, you wrote a couple, I think. And Brandon, Brandon wrote, I think we did one of Brandon's songs. Yeah. On on Liquid Glass. Oh yeah. Yeah. But but uh but I think I did all the lyrics on this one and then it was in the days before home recording, which I think was 
in retrospect, the best songwriting days for me because because you could only get it halfway there, and then you had to finish it with the people, you know, at practice. And after I would do, you know, when you could start doing demos where you did everything, and then you bring it to practice, and it's not what you expect. You know, you got an expectation or whatever. And yeah, if I could ever go learning songs at band practice was the best way to go. Totally, because they become they're alive. They become something else. Like you can't imagine how a song is going to sound and you play it live and it's like, Oh wow. It needs to be totally different to be effective, you know? Yeah. Or if you're going to be a band, you know, let everybody do their part, you know, like if it's just going to be one person, then it can just be your name, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and you were nice enough to let us do our own stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, there wasn't a real set plan. I just, you know, just all these ideas and, you know, stuff i wanted to do but there wasn't a real set style specific way everything had to be i don't think well it seemed like Sensefield was more your that was the main project you know what i mean and then whirlpool yeah. was like was like something you could try out you know let's have fun with this try this song something different i i wanted it to be the main thing at the height of the Sensefield stuff because uh it was just so much more what I wanted to do expressive wise, you know, like, and, uh, in retrospect, I probably should have stayed focused on the sense field stuff when it was all happening. But I started to feel kind of like, I wasn't, you know, I was just a part of that band. I wasn't really, yeah, you know, needed. And my creative influence just got kind of, you know, just, I was just kind of doing my part. I think, it's, and then it's uh, not as satisfying as, as yeah creating it from the ground up. There's yeah. just so much fun musical stuff I wanted to try, and you know, since Field got kind of set and how it wanted to do stuff. And, yeah, so. like when you listen back to this, you probably you know it's, it has to elicit a different reaction than maybe listening back to like you mentioned building you not really having much of a hand. Like yeah, you can hear this and be like, wow, this is like a total snapshot of my life and what I was doing in, you know, the summer of 1994 when yeah. I recorded it. Um, and speaking of the recording, Jim Monroe said, if he recalls correctly, this was done pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, so, we, we did the 24 hour lockout thing where we slept on the floor of the studio. Oh yeah. So we recorded all day and just slept on the floor of the studio. Yeah. We had like sleeping bag. In the hallway, yeah. That's right. That's not. That's not a good for anyone thinking of doing that. That's not a good idea. I don't recommend. Not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) But it was. It was fun. Yeah. That was the one thing about Whirlpool. I think, like Sensefield was great, but it was. It got real serious and you know, intense and and Whirlpool was just fun. The people, like, we just had fun. There wasn't any drama or like you know antagonism or anything it was just kind of happy-go-lucky and yeah for me that was huge because Sensefield was not happy-go-lucky a lot of the time it was you know it got intense and competition and things it was just so much fun to just play and party and not you know like not have it be (laughs) I don't know all (laughs) super intense and so much pressure you know and I never really got any animosity, like, feeling from any of the Sensefield guys either. Like, oh, this is Rodney's other band or something. Like, they yeah. are always, to me at least, or what I 
I remember is they were always supportive. Like I remember Stockburger showed up at the studio a few times when we were recording even, you know? So yeah. super supportive from them. Well, at yeah, the Sensfield guys are just, they're patient. It was just like, well, why is he doing a whole other band? Why does he just save those, you know, but they didn't do anything. They didn't get mad. You know, they were just kind of like, why don't you save those songs for us? I'm like, well, <laughs> did they hear any of these songs? Did did they ever hear any of these and go, oh, man, I wish we would have used that one first? Yeah, time. well, that actually the song Liquid Glass on the album Liquid Glass, like John and yeah, a couple of people were like, man, why couldn't that be a sense? <laughs> I'm like, well, because you guys are too slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, Jason, Jason had mentioned too uh, that uh, the blinding light video. He wanted, he wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that we discussed. And I know we touched on it earlier. <laughs> talk a little bit about make because this, this is the red era where, like every one of these episodes, the bands had at least one music video. Yeah, guys were no yeah. exception. You had the video for Blinding Light. Can you share some memories about that? Jim Brown. <laughs> I, I think my main memory that 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 whole trip to Palm Springs in the video I think crystallizes the whirlpool experience for me. Uh, it's just we were it was just so much fun. It was just, we were yeah. laughing. It was ridiculously funny, um, and we were just that was making the first each other time laugh. That I smoked pot. It was the first time yes. I smoked pot, and it was, it was we were trying to Bouchard, and I I turned into like this tiny golden. Ping were, and I, I remember it so well. I was a, like, "You were a silver lining." Yeah, <laughs> and that's all in the video. You guys, Is it? That's, yeah, because you have those those facial oh, shots God. where you guys are cracking up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a really fun. Was it a weekend? Yeah, yeah. We in Palm yeah. Springs. Palm Springs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we stayed at the Browns at Jim and um, Greg Brown's right. parents' house. Yeah, on the golf so course. Fun. Yeah, it was um, more about yeah. that than the than the video. <laughs> just hanging we were like, out. Oh, yeah. Have fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the video, I, we're just like, what do we do? I don't know. Walk walk around the desert with our guitars. <laughs> like, yeah. Light yeah. drums on fire. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. We did light drums on fire. Why not? I don't know. I don't know if it's a nostalgia, but that video is still entertaining to me. Like, I don't feel bad about it. It's, oh, it's no. goofy and cheesy, but it's like we did we did like just a legit like cheesy 90s rock video where you just dance around in the dip. like yeah yeah where like, where can i see we didn't that we try video? to be arty about it YouTube. it's on youtube you know? yeah. oh it's on youtube okay it's, I it's on the revelation so uh revelation records <laughs> youtube channel uh okay. it's on there and yeah it's very it's very 90s and i mean that in the best way like it really I love the totally 90s. something Come that on. would have been on like you know 120 minutes was it ever aired on any <laughs> do you know if it was ever i think i don't know everything was like we there i don't know if anything actually got played yeah maybe at four in the morning on mtv once probably not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. probably not i just i loved uh brandon he did like the Toyota, like the oh what a feeling jump, like the pants kind of, <laughs> right at the end of the video. I kind of remember that. that. Yeah. He like throws the burning drum and then it's like the final <laughs> victory. Victory, yeah. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I mean that that was kind of the vibe of the band. I thought it was just yeah. I mean, the music was, was good, but I thought the that was what was cool about it. Yeah, just sort of everybody's 
That's we're young. We're just young and having fun, you know. That's something to remember, I think, like, because we've all played music since then and still play music. And remembering why you do it in the first place is because it's it's fun and it brings you joy. You love it. And like when it gets serious and about other things, it's you lose touch of why you're even doing it. And I think it's probably the only band I've ever been in that never got serious. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's a good. Which way is so it. cool. Like it's yeah. a good way. I mean, it wasn't like we weren't invested, but we, yeah, kind of more invested in having fun than anything else. You know, which is yeah something to aspire to. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, that you're still all still playing music or have played music. Can we talk a little bit about um, Rachel? Like I said, it looks like you're in a home studio. Um, what, what, what have you yeah. done? I know we will, you know, liquid glass will be its own future episode and hopefully, you know, you guys will come back and let us punish you about that. Hopefully <laughs> talk about that. But so we are sort of jumping ahead, but I figured why not? We can do what mm-hmm. we want. Right. What do you, what do you, yeah. what did you do musically after Um, I've had a band since like 2005 that is called Great Northern. And so we put out like four records and, um, toured for about six years. And then we took a break. It's my husband and I actually. Um, so we still record a lot at home and mainly we do licensing for like movies and TV and stuff like that now. But we actually just made a record the last six weeks. Um, we went up to Napa with our friend. Michael McDermott, who's a painter, and he also makes um, labels for all the wineries up there. And so we did a six-week situation where we brought our whole home studio up to his house, and he was painting while we were recording, and we made a record. So we still have some work to do, but um, it was really fun. I've never done anything like it. It was a really cool experience to like have another art form going on at the same time. And we were kind of feeding off each other. The songs are, we were going to use the older songs that have been sitting in a hard drive, but um, everything that came out, like 14 new songs came out. So it was really cool. When will people be able to hear that and and how will they be able to hear it? Um, That's a good question. (laughs) I don't know yet. Um, It's probably going to be done within a month and we're trying to figure out a interesting way to put it out into the world. Um, All the other stuff we've done is on like iTunes and Spotify and all that, but we're trying to figure out maybe a different way to put this out, but we'll see. Well, maybe by the time we do the the liquid glass, we'll ask you again and then. Yeah. Have a different answer. So, uh, Travis, how about you? What 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 are you up to musically these days? Um, well, Mean Season seems to get together every once in a while. Um, we did something in Europe in 2015. Did a festival out there and some shows. Um, and since I've been back, I was living over there for about 10 years. Um, but since I've been back, we've been playing consistently like once a year with Mean Season. And we actually just two weeks ago recorded a new album. So um, that's going to be coming out on um, Indecision with Dave Mandel's label. 
Um, oh, nice. Probably the beginning of next year. So yeah, it's weird. Me and Season recorded another album. Haven't done it in 20 something years and we just did it. And on top of that, I'm doing something else with some friends of mine. Um, John Ellis, Matt Garish, um, Billy Trujillo, just a kind of a heavy rock band. And we just started recording an album as well. So, um, some things are happening. Things that haven't happened in a long time are happening finally. The renaissance is happening. (laughs) Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. And actually, we just played at Alex's Bar in Long Beach maybe three weeks ago with Brandon's band, Slippers. Slippers? Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Perfect segue. What what does Slippers sound like? Yeah. uh, Well, Slippers is, we've been a band for actually 26 years now. So we started right after Whirlpool. Yes. Whoa. Same original guys. It's like funk fusion type stuff, you know, experimental. Uh, being a drummer, it's easy for me to, I've hopped on a million different bands <laughs> post Whirlpool. I'm actually on tour right now. I'm calling from a coffee shop above a car wash in Georgia. <laughs> oh, life, wow. life, life on the road. Yeah. This is the only Wi-Fi I could find on the middle of the Georgia highway. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've just been, I've been doing a bunch of stuff, uh, just playing drums, all kinds of bands. I mean, I, I don't want to even, cool. I'm not even going to start listing them because that's, <laughs> that's for another thing. But yeah, still, play, <laughs> still playing, still busy, still love doing it. Never going to give it up. You know? Yeah, cool. And, and sort of just, you know, just kind of talking about the nostalgia of Whirlpool. Like, that was a good kickoff for me, not only playing with my brother, but like I said, just having a band where it was just fun. And, uh, you know, the future was all, you know, was all in front of me. And I think that that, I never, yeah. it, the, the, it just never left. I still love it as much now as I did. Think. Yeah, it was so, like a positive introduction to the music world. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. We, like, I want to do this. Easy. I want to do this yeah. with my friends. Yeah. Yeah. So before, before I get to Rodney, you're, you're on this record. You're not on Liquid Glass, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. So did you, how, how did, how did your, and uh, how did your time in the band end? Were you just like, Hey, I'm going to do something else. I mean, your brother still is on liquid glass. Yeah. Um, well, I was let go. <laughs> <laughs> I was let go. Uh, no, uh, at, the t- at, the, at the time, probably because I was doing other, you know what I mean? I was doing three other bands I was young. I was, my brain was all over the place. Um, I think we, de- we demoed Liquid Glass. I have a, de- I have a tape of actually most of yeah. those tracks, me playing on it. We demoed it. Yeah. Um, and just things didn't work out. I think that, you know, Liquid Glass came along. Scott uh, McPherson was there. And if anybody's going to fill in, I would have Scott. He's amazing. So I was, you know, I had no problems with it. Just that's what it was. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, well, and for me, in retrospect, I think that was a bad decision. Too self, <laughs> I, I would get kind of self-obsessed where I cared more. I'd focus more on the music than people sometimes, where the sound. And when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, that was, you know, not important. It was just at the time, you know, you get. I forgive you, Roger. Yeah, I forgive you. <laughs> 
I love you, Rodney. It's okay. Believe it or not, we've had we've had a we had a couple episodes like that where I asked him like, well. It's probably uh, more awkward to talk about than it actually is in reality. Uh, it looks yeah. like to me. But I, I have to say goodbye. I just wanted to I wanted to say uh, uh, hello and goodbye to everybody. Uh, good seeing you. Uh, congrats on the new album, Rachel, and uh, I hope to Thanks, see you in real life soon. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, Thank you so much, too. Jordan. Always a pleasure. <laughs> um, what well, I, I do want to follow up just one more point about sure. moving on from this thing is that uh, whatever, a long time ago, yeah, Scott came in and, and finished that record, but Rodney and uh, Travis Couchard and I had a band after World War called Peso we played in. Rodney and I made music Afterwards, yeah. we did the Ludites, Ludites yeah. thing. So it never, you know what I mean? It wasn't like a... Yeah. You know, and you know what I mean? It was just that project didn't, you know what I mean? At the time... You don't get to... Yeah. You don't get to realize what, like, a sort of painfully self-absorbed 20-something you are until after <laughs> you look back and you're like, oh, man, somebody was like, <laughs> thought he was super important, I guess. You know, like... I, you know, at the time you don't think about it, but then when you look back, you're like, man, you got to do whatever you want all the time and so much of the time. And it's just like, yeah, anyway. Uh, I, I'll, I'll grant this. I think it was a really good life lesson for me at the time because it could have gone two different ways. You know what I mean? I, I could have been heartbroken and said, I'm never playing drums again. Like, forget it. You know what I mean? Uh, but I took the opposite route and was like, God damn it, I'm going to practice and never be, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, never I'm get let practice. go again. I'm never going to get <laughs> let go again. Like, I'm, I'm going <laughs> yeah. to go at it twice as hard, you know what I mean? So that so was, was, sort of was, a, was the uh, Thanksgiving dinner after that with your brother, was that awkward then after being like, <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk anymore? <laughs> That's why he's not on the Zoom. I didn't know, but, <laughs> And that I yeah, think speaks to, like you said, to the the idea the the idea that you just all enjoyed, you know, making music together, and it was about having fun, and you knew it wasn't like this is this is a job, you know, it wasn't like it was a job. And uh, I think that kind of also can make it easier because, like you said, okay, well now I'm now I'm out in Whirlpool, so I'm just going to do something else. I like playing drums. I like writing music. It's funny after I talked to Scott about being in the band, because, you know, me and Scott, you know, there'd been tension on and off over the years. And uh, John Bunch was like, man, you got to deal with him in Sinsfield and you want to have him in another band. (laughs) 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 And part of me was like, oh, yeah. But then, (laughs) anyway, yeah. Right after I did it, I'm like, oh, yeah. But that was the whole thing where it was like I would just see music or what I wanted and like, you know, not think about people. And it was like, you know, being a creative person is great and all, but, you know, at some point you got to like, people are more important. It's exhausting being this creative now. (laughs) But see, now you, I can, like, at least at this point, I know after, after Whirlpool, you were sense field was was going strong for for a while so um yeah what are you doing now uh jason wanted to make sure too that we mentioned 
through actually, if you go to Sensefield Instagram, the link tree, you have a, you know, we uh, earlier Rachel mentioned your artwork. You actually have a site with your artwork on it. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. Um, I'm still kind of setting it up, but, uh, I, it's like you can, I have an Etsy shop where basically you can just you sell PDFs. So people pay 99 cents and then they print out, you know, whatever drawing or whatever. Lots of people like them to, for coloring, like adult coloring. They like to color them in. So people print them out for that, but you can do posters or whatever. I think if I get it, yeah. going, it's like the ultimate business model because there's no shipping. There's no inventory. People are just basically paying for pixels and they can print out on whatever nice paper they want at their end. And uh, so I just have to get more stuff up there. Very but, cool. Yeah. Hopefully if I can get, you know, get enough up there, it'll, you know, it's so basic, but if you get enough people coming through and buying stuff, it could, yeah. you know. And like you said, at least you don't have to worry about shipping and all that. So uh, yeah. well, speaking of art, oh my gosh, Jason would absolutely kill me if I didn't bring up the artwork for the record, which you did, Rodney. Uh, it says you did yeah. everything besides the CD label, which I don't have the CD, so I can't yeah. um, I can't comment on that. Um, and it says the, um, the lettering was uh, done by Rich Jacobs, who I know we've, we've talked about him. Oh, I forgot um, that Rich did that. Yeah, we talked about him before. He did stuff for Iceburn, I believe, right? And Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little about the artwork for this record, Rodney? Like what would, uh, what's, yeah, what's going was, on on this cover? <laughs> it was, I did all these, like, um, what would you, abstract <laughs> sort of line drawings like that. And I really wanted to use it for Sensefield. I think there's one Sensefield poster that has one of those, but, uh, I'd always just wanted an album cover of one of those drawings because I was super into that for a long time, just doing the really tedious line art. So <laughs> there again, there there wasn't a plan. It's not rel like that's not relative to the music really at all, except the colors maybe or something. But it's cool looking you now. It, it's like yeah. it's definitely Thanks. you know cool looking, and like I like I like the lettering, like the. Uh, the lettering that uh, Rich did, and also backup vocals on 25 and Whirlpool, Jim Monroe, which he mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to him about, uh, he said when he did, um, in the email, he actually said, went back and uh, just went and spun the record, heard myself singing harmony vocals on 25. A little unsettling, but I like the part. <laughs> and he talked too about yeah, the... Um, the the cd having when you guys you know it was the era where it's like oh we can hold you know 70 some minutes on here yeah. so there's the uh oh, here, here we go the blanks <laughs> yeah he's talked about the blank stuff at the end uh as a conversation screaming yeah screaming and he says he had recorded him some stuff yeah yeah that That's, was yeah. just him that he actually him. worked he with him yeah i don't know why we put that that had nothing to do with anything either. <laughs> but it's again very not of, of the time, like oh, yeah. the bonus track. That's ghost. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, originally, woman. Originally, I think we were going to use the intro to Michael Jackson's PYT slowed down. For some reason, really? we decided against that. And really? I think so. 
And then uh, Jim somehow brought up the Screaming Jay Hawkins thing because he had the CD in the studio. And then once we heard that, we're like, all right, that's it. Throw that on there. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty neat. You know, like it's just, it's definitely like, it's not, when he sent that, I was not expect, like I wasn't expecting that that's what it was at all. <laughs> and then, yeah, so you did, did so you do Rodney the label design too? Like the, yeah, that's all, that's yeah, all I had you these as well? Yeah, weird like, sort of like spaceship kind of thing that I was drawing at the time too. Just, I don't know what exactly they were. It looks cool. So I guess, uh. To, to kind of wrap up, Rodney, you've you've been on before, so you know what's coming. Uh, we do a thing called Hot Tracks, where we just pick what our favorite song is, and we make the band uh-huh. members choose to, uh, whether it's your favorite, you remember playing it, writing it, performing it, whatever. Um, and I am going to start by asking Ben, because he's my special guest co-host, I'm going to ask him what... His hot track is from the Whirlpool self-titled. Well, it's got to be that hit single with the accompanying music video, Blinding Light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, you go for the mainstream one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such yeah, a lame man. streamer. <laughs> um, I love how the guitars build on each other. There's that epic last part where it's every couple measures, another guitar comes in with yeah. the melody. Yeah. And and there's that part where you yell, "I've played the fucked up part," and I keep yeah. thinking, oh, yeah. "Sounds like that came out of a off, that's like a reference to that. a, but it sounds like a reference yeah. to a hardcore record." Is, yeah. Was there a hardcore record that where someone said that? No, it was just I always liked the Pixies, where you know they would cut off a chord, so their chord progressions would be five or three or whatever, and and then just the weird math when the beats would flip around and you know i always kind of like that in music where like you know they the drums would flip and you know it kind of gives the whole music like it it feels fucked up but then it like lands in a satisfying place or whatever so i mean it was just you're kind of introducing that part yeah, yeah, that's what that part was called, the fucked up part. Yeah, yeah it would be. Here it like, is. <laughs> and now a guitar solo. Like it was, it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because Very Jason. Classy. They do that with classical music, I think, too, where they introduce the <laughs> sections of the song. Jason had written in his hot track. I didn't get Javier, so I'll have to give it on next time he's on. But Jason also said, Blinding Light. Um, he said he loves the O's in the chorus, the O's, catchy guitar lines, Pixie's vibe with the harsh vocals and Rachel singing. And then in quotes, he put, um, play the fucked up part. And he just said, it has a good, uh, he compared it to, pick, to the Pixies and X. Yeah, um, X. I was going to say, I hear X in it too. It's X. funny because that's good. People would say that. And I mean, I, X is okay, but I was. I would always in my head. I was always like, "No X, only Pixie." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, Rodney, what's but your, I, your hot track? track? Uh, I don't know. I think "Engines Down." I still like that one. Just, just the weird parts, and I was trying to find ones where I sang pretty good all the way through. I think there's points where I just didn't sing very loud or didn't really project like a lead singer and on some of that stuff i wish i would have been like okay the mic's on now you gotta you're you're up 
<laughs> but yeah, like I think that one's pretty good. I have a question about that song because that's my other favorite song by Whirlpool. Did you actually grow up next to a freeway? Yeah. Yeah, I actually had the commute where I grew up, you know, going to my mom's house for the weekend was a 405 just over and over again. And then growing up, you know, going up to L.A. And and then, yeah, so it was just constant. And then you'd always see, you know, cars burning or huge accidents or whatever. So, yeah, I just had the whole... Well, and then the road, you know, being on in, on tour too, I had a lot of uh, road experience. What was the um? What ex? What part of the four hundred five? This is you were from Harbor City. Well, I lived in Long Beach, but okay. the four hundred five is just like the core. Like my whole life, kind of, for a lot of it was around the four hundred five, going up and down the coast, and then. It's just, yeah, it's just a weird freeway culture, you know, in L.A., like, you know, it's just everywhere. Yeah, you can't get away from traffic. Especially the 405. It's like the, the most garbage freeway ever. <laughs> I always hear about that California track. I mean, I've been to California a couple of times. It's been a long time. And I even you are, you're in New York. Are you in New York? I'm in Philadelphia. Yeah. Philadelphia. OK, cool. So like we have like bad traffic, but not. Not like that. <laughs> you know, we have like Philadelphia is the first place I saw fireflies. Yeah, we had them like, like in real life in the yeah. summer. And man. I thought, what is this real? Like, it's still so magical <laughs> when I see a firefly. Because in California, you don't grow up seeing them. And then the first time yeah. I saw them was in Philly, and it blew my mind. They're really cool. They're magical. That's off the subject of a freeway, but I thought I'd throw it. <laughs> More interesting though. <laughs> so all right who's next on the hot seat i'm gonna say brandon What's your hot track? Uh, yeah. i think engines down probably and I, I that was one of the first maybe four songs that i learned like 25 was one of them it's like the first four songs that i sort of get into but i remember playing that one and sort of once i found my part especially the ending like the the, the last part of the song once i kind of found my drum part that was the first time i was like yeah, this is a good song. I like the song. And uh, that one sticks with me, I think. Engine's right. down. I'm going to, I'll break it up. The boring, the boring host, I'll, I'll go next. Um, so I, so, you know, doing this pod, I'll, I'll go off on a tangent. Doing this podcast, we, I haven't heard every release on Revelation. Um, you know, obviously, by the end, I'm, I won't be able to say that. It's the whole, whole idea. So there's a lot of stuff that I didn't come up listening to that I, um, you know, listened to for the purposes of the podcast and became a fan of. So like Iceburn, I'd never bothered with. And now I'm like super fan. Engine Kid, same thing. And and Whirlpool, I you know, I've, knowing that I was going to do the podcast, I'm like, all right, I'm going to listen to Whirlpool. And... Um, like I, this is a really fun record. I love that it's nice and short. Like people can't like, I think it's like, you know, without the bonus stuff at the end, it's probably under 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, which speaking of the Pixies, like I remember reading a thing with, um, Charles or black Francis or Frank Black or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call him where, you know, do little, all the songs are really short and, 
the label or maybe it was even Jill Gil Norton or whoever was like, these songs are too short. And he like went to the record store and took out a Buddy Holly record. And he's like, look at yeah. all the times of these, of these songs. Um, and they're short. So like, you know, this is kind of in that vein where it's like, they're short to the point. Two minutes, two minutes, 50 was the rule for the old radio. Two minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah. And it's actually, yeah. it might, for me, it's a good length. Like that's about when I get done with a song. Just around three minutes. Once you get into four, I mean, yeah, yeah. epic rock, you know, definitely right. can get away with that. But, but or most yes. like just, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you're going to have 16 parts in the song, it's fine. But, but yeah, it's weird. I went, and that stuck. I, I remember reading that same thing about Charles and I was like, yeah, two minutes 50. That's really all you need. If you you got to get to the fun part before then, you know. Right. What is it? Or you lose them. Don't bore us, get yeah. to the chorus or whatever that is that Tom Petty said that. So because I was the opposite when I was a kid, I was always I, younger. I was into the epic, the longer, the better, you know, and then, yeah, it's just like that idea is done. Like play it, you know, you, you want to hear something else. Like, I don't know. Right. For that kind of music, especially kind of, you know, poppy stuff, like poppy indie rock. So all of this was a convoluted way of me saying, I love the Pixies. And my hot track uh, is The Sound. I thought to me, like, uh, you know, in the beginning of the episode before you guys came on, Ben and I were talking about how Nevermind turned 30. And another, so again, we're dating the podcast. Now everybody will know when we recorded it. It just happened the other day. But also... My yeah. and it might be a hot take, but my personal favorite Pixies record, Trample Mon, also turned 30. Oh. And to me, yeah, this song reminds me of that record because that to me is yeah. the heaviest Pixies record. And this has the heaviness, yeah. it has the dual vocals with you, uh, Rodney and Rachel, and just everybody's kind of firing on all cylinders. And it just really yeah. gave me in a good way, like those Pixies vibes. Um, I like X. I'm not nearly as well versed, so I don't really yeah. hear the X. To me, it's just I hear what you wanted people to hear, and that's oh, these they really like the Pixies, and yeah. uh, you know that stuff. And well, hey, it's I think not a bad way to be. Like, I thought it was such a shame, you know, that whatever creative differences they had, but uh, they, you know, Frank Black and Tim Deal couldn't work things out and sing like together most of the time like that you know like to be a guy like that's their sound but i guess i don't know if frank was uptight about him being the main songwriter or something but for whirlpool i was like no it's gonna be 50 50 or more female vocals like i don't know like why it's like gonna be one of my i think that was the kurt cobain like thing too where it's like why didn't frank black like let kim deal sing more like you know like it's going to yeah. be one of the musical tragedies in history. <laughs> and then she, well, she did all right with the breed. You know, she had the last yeah. laugh, I guess, because, you know, the, the with the breeders, she had a lot of success, especially yeah. um, after so that. so many good songs. And both of them had so many great ideas. Like, you know, Lennon and McCartney, like he could have done more of that sort of thing. Yeah. But whatever. I got my revenge. <laughs> yeah, and and I, that's actually it, this could have also been something if the like last splash like that era of breeders. Um, yeah, has uh, I was so so into the breeders in that at that point too. 
I want to look at, I need to re-listen to these songs, but I guess I'm going <laughs> to lean towards Blinding Light because of the video memory. Great. Yeah. Oh. oh, but I mean, you know, if I'm ever on this again, I, I could, you know, I, had to I need to listen to them. Yeah, I, I don't, well, I, then we'll, we'll, I we might, need to listen. We, you might get a, you'll get a redo then. You can do it because uh, we, we're going to, we, we got your... As Javier always says, we got your number. So now, like liquid glass, like people are going to say, "We know where you live hey, now." Yeah, they're going to say, "You you got them for the first one. Why couldn't you get them for liquid glass?" So we'll talk to you in a couple months. Thank, Thank you, you so much. For we'll having email you. Me. The, uh, thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank good you, everybody. Good to see you guys. Good to see everybody. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Travis, and I get to say my hype track. Yeah, so I was going to say you're you're not off the hook yet. <laughs> okay, Let's before we go, yeah, I want you guys. I had to look it up, but um, remember the song Trouble? Yeah. Yeah. That's my hot track because it gets yeah. so heavy. And Rodney screams like, I don't know. I think someone called you the God of Thunder when we were in New York one time, <laughs> possibly because of your screaming on that song. Because it starts yeah. out so sweet, and then it just goes all downhill into this dark place. Fantastic oh song. Wait, my screaming right? voice was still pretty good back then. Like, I just listened to it and I was like, "Wow, like, he's, that kid had a pair of luck." <laughs> I don't know if I can pull that off. Yeah. All right, okay. I see track four. I'm bad with song names. I was like, "Is that on here?" I'm, I'm reading the back. <laughs> I'm good. So, all right. Well, thank you all. Um, yeah, Rodney, Travis, yeah. Uh, Rachel, Brandon. Uh, you know, Rodney, Travis, Rachel. We're going to be hitting you up, like I said, when it's time for Liquid Glass, because yeah. uh, Javier and Jason will hopefully be able to join, because I know they were super bummed about um, missing today, because maybe if they have questions about this, they can ask them yeah. on that, we'll, if they're not answering. We'll try to get Scott and Travis on here as well. Yeah. Great. Rodney, yeah. before you sign off, Rodney, I, I have a couple uh, lyric questions. Um, sure. The, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of imagery relating to machinery, engineering, and like cars yeah. and ocean yeah. and the ocean on this album. Was there an like an overarching concept behind the album as a whole? Like I'm going to make this album and it's going to have this theme to it. No, uh, but well, this with the sound. Um, I grew up where there was this the shipwreck, you know, just out on the jetty, kind of by the beach. And you could go out and see it and like, you know, the, it, a bunch of it was underwater, but you, part of it was sticking out. And I don't know why that was a super meaningful, me, meaningful to me and intense as a kid, but something about it just, it was kind of scary, but neat, you know, cause you can see the pipes and everything going under the water, but you can't see what's down in there, I guess. I don't know. It was, but yeah, there wasn't really an open overall plan a lot of the lyrics are kind of just a dream a lot of dream imagery and just you know images that i wanted to you know express that i had in my head yeah and then the song 25 were you 25 yeah. when you wrote that song yeah yeah it was weird because and i've noticed other people that there's like sort of a mid 20 like sometimes some people will have sort of a quarter life crisis Cause you're out of high school and not sure what you're doing with college and then, you know, doing bands and but you should be going to college and getting a real job or whatever. And so that 25, it was weird. I like had the worst sort of like, what am I doing with my life? 
then, you know, and the felt much more settled at 30 and 40. It was just, yeah, there was just something about, and then you look back and you're like, oh man, you didn't have any, <laughs> any responsibilities or problems, but it was like an identity thing or something. Yeah. Yeah, I call it punk rock midlife crisis, and it happens yeah, right around twenty four and twenty five. Like, it, yeah, it, I've talked to so many people about it. it yeah, that, wow, that's yeah. where you you hit that crossroads <laughs> where you're like, you've been playing in bands, and and then you, you reach that point where it's like, am I stepping off of this or am I going to keep going? And yeah, like, I have a terrible job, and other people yeah. who I went to school with are now like getting real careers, starting real yeah. careers. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Members. I see. I I I had a kid at twenty five, so that was yeah. like my uh-huh. like, uh, responsibility. So, yeah, so I I, you know, had been doing a band that was as serious as a hardcore band can get, right? Like, yeah. uh, and then we ended, and then literally like three weeks later, I found out I was having a kid, and then I had a, I had a kid, and. You know, yeah. everything's kind of been different since, but it does make sense because it's it's a, those early mid twenties are a weird time because you're not a kid anymore, but like yeah, you're also like not necessarily like because you may have just finished college, you know, like you may have been, uh, you may still be living with your parents. Like I lived with my parents since I was twenty four, you know, apart from going yeah. to college. It's a weird time. Yeah. Yeah, the expectation isn't, you know, isn't clear. Like, how successful should I be at this age? And yeah. usually your answer is yeah. not. Where should I go I'm from not, here? Whatever it is. And then, yeah, of course, I, if you're comparing yourself to, like, normal people. Oh, man. And you're looking at, like, people you went to high school with. Yeah. And you're 25. And, okay, yeah, maybe I was having a kid and I was married, but, like. They're working. They got out of college. They like it took me twelve years to finish college, whereas yeah. like a normal person, it takes them four years. And then they're yeah. twenty two. They finish. They get some nice job out of college. By the time they're twenty five, they're probably yeah. making pretty. You know, they're settled in their career, yeah. and you just feel like a misfit. Yeah. So here's my story that relates to this whole thing: is I went to college in Santa Barbara. I grad. I did graduate in four years. I immediately moved back into my mom's house for another two years. I'm working at a record store in LA, uh, Aaron's records in Hollywood. And John Bunch comes in to sell a bunch of CDs and he goes, Hey man, I'm, I'm living in my mom's, uh, the, the guest house of, uh, behind my mom's house, um, right around this neighborhood. I'm like, I'm from this neighborhood, like really <laughs> close to where and like that, I guess I don't feel so bad because this is the network era, <laughs> network records era sense field, like early 2000s. Yeah. Nicest guy in the world. And oh, no. this was like when the Tonight and Forever, which also just yeah. had the 20 year anniversary. Um, right. This yeah. was about 20 years ago. We might have and, to do it. We might have to do a p- Patreon only episode <laughs> on that record, Rodney, when we, <laughs> when we talk to you and Chris. And um, yeah, that's that's a fantastic uh album that uh i would love to talk about and it's not on rev so we'll put that yeah. we'll put that as zach oxnard and uh javier say behind the paywall behind the paywall. <laughs> so people that are listening we're gonna probably try and do that uh because like i said that's a great record but yeah thank you guys
Well, thanks for listening, everybody, to that interview with Whirlpool. Um, that was pretty rad, man. I, you know, this is one, we had a couple, what are you going to do when you get to blank? And Whirlpool was one of them. Like, like, you know, it was like, what are you going to do when you get to Slipknot was like the first. And then what are you going to do when you get to Iceburn? And here's another one where we talked to Whirlpool for an hour and a half. Yeah. And the cool thing about it is, like you said, there's nothing online about the band. So this is this is the document of this band. Right. For anyone to access if they want to know about Whirlpool from here on out, you know. So that makes it more special than talking about, you know, a band like Youth of Today, where there's like shitloads of stuff about them online. Yeah. And that's that's where it's like that's the to me, that's where this is really fun. Um, I love, you know, obviously like talking to Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today and stuff is great. But at the same time, it's like, how much can we uncover that hasn't been uh, said before? Um, so the ones like this and with like Engine Kid and Iceburn, you know, all the stuff we, we talked about. It's cool because, yeah, like this is be the like someone getting into Whirlpool five years from now. Or even just curious, they can listen and they're going to get, I mean, we had everybody from the band besides one person, like from that record. Like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Plus we had Jordan. That's right. You know, who, who does pop in here from time to time. Um, yeah. So I, I do, I look forward to diving into uh, the second record. You know, it's another one where these are new to me. Like this album, this self-titled is, is, you know, I listened to it for the pod. I now own a record. Um, you know, I'll do the same thing with the second album. But uh, it was cool. And, I, you know, Rodney's cool. I love Sensefield. And I think it's neat that, like, there was a time where both bands uh, were going on oh, at the same time. Yeah, like, it's neat. And, uh, and like, we talked about no one's fault, but it was really cool that we had – finally a woman on the podcast like you know what i mean like we had like bonus episodes where we talked to kaylee you know kato eight um but it was nice because this is the first appearance you know uh, uh on a rev record as far as a main band member of uh, a a female and it's really cool to get that perspective and and uh it was awesome to get to you know meet everybody um Gosh, that was such so- a cool story about at the at when she met um, Elena Richie from Ashes yes. at Edendale Grill, which was like two blocks away from where I used to live in Silver Lake. And they're like, "Do I? You look familiar." And then they yeah. realized, like, "Oh shit, we were the only girls like 25 years ago." Yeah, and 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 uh, Javier is going to be so bummed that he wasn't. Actually, it's probably a good thing because we would still be talking about Ashes. Uh, at that po- at this point, like, and she mentioned what like an hour ago or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you would have been like, like, wait, you'd have been like, I'm an ashes fuck boy, and they would the members of like, Whirlpool would have been like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Stan. I was told actually that the nice you can say Stan, so he yeah. can say I'm an a- I'm a- I'm an ashes Stan, right? Um, but, but I know what I wanted the- to mention before before we. uh say farewell is 
I mentioned at the beginning, yeah, you're on two podcasts. We talked about 185 miles south, but I also wanted to give a bit of bow to our friends at End on End, which you haven't been on one in a while, right? Uh, The last one I was on was the um, Fugazi 13 songs episode. Okay. Um, But uh, yeah, that wasn't that that long ago. There was a time uh, where I was subbing because the co-host Jeff Kaplan was moving and it apparently takes him a whole month to move. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody said that too. No offense. No offense, Jeff, if you're listening. Someone's like, he's moving and this must be one hell of a move that uh, he can't, but I guess, you know, planning and whatever. Um, But yeah, so check out End on End. There's a bunch of episodes uh, with Ben on there. Um, Gosh, let's see what else. Let's see what else. I have one for Jason. So since he's such a t-shirt guy, Whirlpool, okay, back in the 90s, the technology in which uh, t-shirts were printed was not as advanced as it is now. Cause now you can have a multicolored t-shirt and it just feels like fabric. I forget what the term is. The, the, the I, I, I can't oh, remember. DTG direct to garment. Yeah. And, go. uh, a lot of the shirt heads, uh, are get really mad at, at DTG, but like I've had somewhere I'm like, it looks fine. Like, well, back in the '90s, if you had a multicolored shirt, it it would the paint on the shirt would be so thick. It's like that, a bulletproof vest. That it would be like Kevlar, but it would also people would call it the sweat patch. Like I have a Gorilla Biscuits shirt from the early '90s, like a long sleeve purple T-shirt with like this jungle scene on the back, and it's like my back would sweat so much wearing that shirt because it's yep. like you know, six color, whatever. And there was. And the other thing is, if you have a T-shirt with white ink on it, you have to hit you have to hit it multiple times. If even if it's just one color, if that one color is white, I, there's something about it where you go over it once, it's not going to show up. You got to hit it a bunch. And there's there was a Whirlpool shirt that was white ink. I forget what the color of the shirt was, but it was it was so thick that it stood up on its own. Like, and that became like a joke within the Rev Warehouse, like the Whirlpool, the Whirlpool shirt that stand, that you can just stand up because it's so solid with ink. What and was so the I, design? I, I want to say it was maybe the cover of the first album, but imagine all of this being white instead of being multicolored. I, I honestly can't remember, but that's what I think it was. Um, but that was a, a fun little anecdote. So about. I see you have it on on CD, the Whirlpool. Um, do you do you, so? You still must have a ton of CDs. You kept all yours. Yeah, I, I am to I am to compact discs. What Jason is to T-shirts, and what Javi is to cassettes. And so what do you, you still are get them new? Yeah, Usually. I I still buy CDs all the all the time. Yeah, I mean, I try to buy used ones. If I can't find them, I'll buy new ones. But uh, I bought all the 95 was the year I, I actually got caught up with Rev because the first Rev thing I had was break down the walls on cassette in 91. And then by the by early to mid 95, I was like, OK, now I have everything and I can buy stuff as it's coming out. And I, I think I bought everything on Rev 
in 95. Oh, yeah. I was just, and that was a big year for Rev. If you look at the, what they put out, is a lot of records. Yeah. So, so 91, you heard Break Down the Wall. So you, you met Kurt Cobain and you knew Youth of Today. You should have slipped him a cassette. Maybe he would have uh, heard like Positive Outlook and Thinking Straight. And it, could, it was a missed opportunity. Well, there's a photo of me on on um, the Revelation Records Instagram playing guitar with ZZ Top wearing a Youth of Today yes. t-shirt. That's a sick picture. <laughs> when uh, who is it? I, I the bass player passed Dusty. Yeah, Dusty right? Hill. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. in the photo. He, he I sent that away. photo to Sam, I thought that sent that photo to Sammy about three days before Dusty Hill died, and I just sent it to him because he is in youth of today. And I thought he'd think it was fun. And he's like, can I post this on the rev IG? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then dusty Hill died. And then, then, and then that day or the next day he posted it on. Yeah. On it was rev cool. IG. It was a cool little, uh, tr- you know, tribute to kind of tie both worlds together. And I know you do work for ZZ top. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and also yes. Hendrix, right. That's right. Yeah. And haven't you, you know, uh, the big, what oh, I know. I was biggest... just going to talk about the biggest Jimi Hendrix fan uh, is Ian MacKay, huge right. fan, the biggest Jimi Hendrix fan. Yep, he he really is. He really knows. He really knows everything about Jimi Hendrix. Like everyone loves Jimi Hendrix, but he knows his shit. I heard he's got like live bootleg, you know, stuff. Like he collects it all. Like super yep. into Hendrix, and I think didn't he even say like the song "Straight Edge" was inspired by. When seven becomes nine, or some some Hendrix. If if six song. was nine, if six, six was, was nine, nine yeah. that's it. And yeah. he like talked about it, and uh, but yeah, no. And Rollins too, I think, is a big fan, but not oh, yeah. not on the level of Ian. He's up there, the big big huge fan, huge fan of ZZ Top too. Rollins. Yes, that was where I remembered in. I think it was in um, Get in the Van, right when Eliminator came out. Yeah, and they talk about that, and it was like. You know, to me, that stuff was so cool because I always liked different kinds of music, um, you know, and there is a lot of times with hardcore where I think people get into it and it's like, that's it. And and to a degree, I did, we all kind of did it where stuff maybe was on the outskirts and not your main thing. But I just remember reading all that stuff, like they would talk about, like, we would listen to Eliminator in the van and like dio era black sabbath and you know mm. these people like this punk band and we'd say that's weak you know everything's weak. like weak punker shit yeah, yeah i think the problem is they went a lot of bands do this and black flag did it too is where you spend your whole life making hardcore records you and you tour incessantly playing with other hardcore bands and you burn yourself out on listening to it on a personal level and so you go in reverse and you like decide, fuck that shit. I'm just going to listen to other stuff. And then at, at some point you feel alienated from your own fans because they are fans of hardcore music. Yeah. You play yeah. hardcore music and now you're, you don't relate to them anymore. And I'm sure that's, that happened with tons of bands. Um, but man, maybe that might've been the impetus for a lot of the college years you know, the Discord college years, the Rev college years, people branching out and trying new stuff musically. 
I always think of the nineties. I spent, I always say I, I spent the nineties wishing it, it was the eighties because my favorite shit is like fast, traditional, hardcore punk. And I think by eighties standards, the nineties was a garbage decade. But then I think, what about all these fucking great bands on rev that like, you know, like whirlpool that I was listening to at the time. It's like, that's a lot of good records. The nineties was a good decade. I just don't, you just can't, you can't judge the nineties by another decade, the standards of another decade. You just have to be like, what was I listening to at that point? I was listening to tons of music. So the uh, Rev nine, you talked about Rev ninety five, and since you know you're a guest, we can jump a- around a little bit before we go, because uh, our next our next episode next time we're discussing Shades Apart. Save it. Are you a mm-hmm. fan of Shades Apart? Yes, I got that one. It came out too. I got everything. <laughs> yeah, around that time. I'm excited for that one. Um, especially, you know, they, they recorded it with, uh, Bill and Stefan from descendants and all. Um, yeah. so that's already like cool, but yeah, they were, like Rev was just 95. You're right. It was, you had like engine kid, uh, technically we did have manic quicksand, manic compression. Cause it was on the vinyl into another seamless, um, whirlpool, uh gosh there was just so much stuff the texas is the reason seven inch um uh, vinyl version yep there you go vinyl version of civ lp yeah like i'm I th- there's a lot of a lot of stuff um on the horizon that i'm personally looking forward to i know the other guys are as well um and it's just neat to take take the deep dive and talk to these people that have been on the records and it's cool again talking to getting people together in that room, you know, we're in a zoom uh, that haven't seen each other since like Bill Clinton was president. Like that's neat. Uh Like, like today. Yeah. It seems like the nineties, a lot of that nineties rev stuff, like you'd think, Oh, this is like indie rock, like Rodney was saying. So you'd think it would cross over into that much bigger, like built to spill world of nineties indie rock. It didn't. Yeah. And it didn't, but a Texas kind of did. Texas is the reason I guess that did really well, but yeah, Texas, you know, they were, I mean, they, they, uh, were either, uh, I think they were like on the eve of signing with capital. Um, and they, they were even working with, uh, you know, speaking of Nirvana with the A&R Gary Gersh. Do you know him by the way, Gary Gersh? I don't know Gary Gersh. I actually interviewed the lawyer, of Texas is the reason's lawyer uh, for an article I still haven't written about ma- uh, hardcore kids uh, signing to major labels in the nineties. Who's um, their lawyer? Are you able to say the it, name? It, his name was oh god, let me find it. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. He he was actually a music journalist before he became a lawyer, and then he became uh, Sonic Youth's lawyer. And because of that, every band thought you know he's Sonic Youth's lawyer. So he's the cool guy. And he ended up being the lawyer for almost every one of those indie rock bands you can name uh, or you can think of. And now I'm drawing a blank. Let me, let me see if I can find his name. Cause um, like, yeah, you know, that was, what was cool at the nineties because that stuff doesn't happen now. I mean, maybe a little bit like you have like, you know, turnstile kind of getting super big and crossing over 
you know, like, like they, they just, there's a festival here that just happened this weekend. Uh, well, not here in Philly, but close in, in Delaware called Firefly. And it's mm-hmm. like this outdoor and it's like, you know, Billie Eilish, Lizzo, um, you know, all that type of stuff. And Turnstile was on it and they were like pretty high up in the lineup. Right. But like, you know, now, like we talked about, like labels aren't as like, I still think about things in terms of like the record label. Like to me, I'm still interested in like, if someone says, Oh, this band signed to rev, I'm going to want to hear it. Or, or this was in, in, in the nineties, especially like you said, it was like, you would be more prone to check something out if it had the star on it or if it had the little discord logo or whatever. Yeah. I would make a point of, of checking it out if it had the star on the back of it. And I, and I, I always think that was more common then, but even then I was like more label oriented thinking wise than, than your average. Yeah. Uh, but you grew, you know, you grew up, with it because your your dad was at Warner Brothers, right? Because again, me being a huge fan of REM replacements, Husker Du, all of them were under the Warner umbrella. So any bios I've read, your dad's name comes up usually, you know, at some in some way, you know, like he was in right. the like we we talked before about our band could be your life. Like he's mentioned in there by Michael Azarad and um, you know, just under that whole umbrella. So yeah, you've been around record labels for your entire life. I didn't know what a record label was until I got into this stuff. You know what I mean? I didn't know. You just bought the tape. Like when I bought Vanilla Ice to the extreme or whatever, I wasn't like, oh, SBK. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to buy everything on SBK. (laughs) Yeah. Wilson Phillips. I'm going to buy Wilson Phillips because I like Vanilla Ice. I, Although someone mentioned, right. someone mentioned, actually it was on the Engine Kid, they mentioned Scotty Brothers Records and I was like, Weird Al. Like I knew that for some reason. Oh, like, Weird Al was on there. That's funny. Uh, Richard Grable was the name of the lawyer okay, for all these, most of these bands that went from, hopped from Discord to Majors, like Shudder to Think and Jawbox, and also a lot of bands that went from Rev to Majors. Um, so that was cool talking to him, and, and he's a real fan of music. He was a, a music writer before he even got a law degree. So Rev had a lot. I was thinking, too, there's a good amount of bands that went to Majors, like more than um, more than Discord. You know, Discord, you always hear the talk about, like, Shutter to think, Jawbox, end of story. That's it. But Rev, you figure yeah. you had Quicksand, Orange Nine Millimeter, into nah. another Sense Sensefield. I mean, that was a network was a major label, wasn't it? Well, they were on Warner Warner Brothers Records. Uh, Building was distributed. Build, yeah, yeah, but they were supposed to put out another album on Warner Brothers, and there was a huge regime change. You know what? This is a good thing to, to ask them when you do the building episode because. Mm-hmm. My dad was in the publicity department. He wasn't in A&R and there was a huge regime change and and uh, a lot of people left to start DreamWorks around that time. And I don't know if that's the reason why the uh, Sensefield kind of got lost in the shuffle or got shelved. They got shelved. The record never came out. They, yeah, they were in um they were in like that weird limbo cuz you figure Yeah. Building was 96 and the only 95. time I saw Sensefield 
Wasn't it 96? Maybe you're right. I think I'm right. Okay. Um, they were in that weird limbo of like building comes out, you know, cause I think it came out around the time of the Texas LP. And then I saw the one time I saw them was in 99 and they were just not touring on any specific record because they were just in limbo. And I'm assuming because they were trying to, they probably were like, Hey, we got a tour. We got to, you know, we got a well, tour. We got to get some income or whatever, you know? And they had, yeah, they weren't on Rev, but they were like on Warner Brothers, but not. And I think, what was the album called? Under the Radar or something, right? Does that sound like that? But this is the, this is another sad story. In addition to me losing a Nirvana shirt that Kurt Cobain gave me, <laughs> is they there was an advanced CD, advanced copy CD of the album that was supposed to come out on Warner Brothers. And if you look on their discogs, there it is. Uh, it's self-titled. Um, it's 1999. I'm in college. Um, my dad's still working at Warner Brothers. He goes, here's the advanced CD of the Sensefield album. I listen to it. I think, well, I'm going to get the, the final album with the, with the artwork when it comes out. So I give it to a, a friend who's a Sensefield fan. I knew that it, it never coming. comes out. That's the, yeah. that is the album. So I never, that was it. I could never get it again. Different versions. You, They're different versions than what's on the, like some of it's on tonight and forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. It's different. It's, it's different. And uh, oh, I fucked up. Yeah. Kept so Jason will kill me. What was on that Nirvana shirt that he gave you? I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't. No pictures. No, no pictures. There was there was the? I think it was the smiley face with the X out eyes on the front, and then something written down in the sleeve, and then something written on the back. But I can't. I can't remember exactly. Did you only was. see them live that one time? Yeah, I only saw them in '91. But you know, I only saw Whirlpool once as well, and they were incredible too. Like I can't. Like seriously, the music that no one was was going for is a lot of it was just as good as the biggest bands in the world <laughs> no and I, that's why I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm stoked and i'm sure there's they were excited uh to have somebody that you knew your shit you're asking questions about lyrics like because again to me this is new yeah yeah this is and a new record i i i didn't hear it until you know a couple weeks ago it's kind of like uh, for end on end, Jeff Kaplan is li mostly li mostly listening to all the records they talk about um, f and l listening to them for the first time ever, the way you were for this one. And yeah. then and then there the other co-host has is from D.C. and grew up going to see all these bands in real time. So it's kind of like you're the Jeff of, of and I'm the Brian of, of yes, this of the world. Like. <laughs> And same yeah. thing, Engine Kid, uh, Javier was a big fan of Angel Wings. Um, and I think it's it's a fantastic album, but I didn't know, like I didn't listen to them before. The In Flight Program CD, I think, but that has a Whirlpool song from Liquid Glass. Um, that introduced, I think, a lot of people to a lot of the bands. Well, my version of the In Flight CD was the Revelation cassette sampler from 1995 the summer 95 sampler um and that is the first time i heard a lot of these bands i don't think it might have i don't yeah whirlpool was on it um but that what song uh, i want to say blinding light i was gonna say probably the video song 
yeah, I should pull it up, but it, it's, it, it introduced me to a lot of these bands and this was a time when, you know, it was pre-streaming. So you really would listen to things a lot to try to figure out like you wanted to get into music. You wanted to like music. Yeah. You, you know? plunked down, you know, 10 bucks for, for the CD or whatever. Like you, you gave it, you kind of gave things more of a shot. We've, we've talked about this a million times, yeah, yeah. Here, but like, it's true. Like now you can go on Spotify and, and you can listen for 30 seconds and basically be like, I don't like the way the singer sounds. I'm done. You know, like yeah. I'm trying to imagine like, like, um, like I'm thinking about, I bought, here's an example. The first joy division that I got was, um, uh, closer. Right. Yeah. Or is it closer? I never know. I think it's one of those amb- amb- ambiguous uh, titles. It's, I love the record, but I, I never know if it's closer or closer because they're both spelled the same. Um, I hope they're spelled the same, or I just outed myself. They are. They are. You're right. As an idiot. Yeah. So imagine. So I bought that because I was like Joy Division. I knew all about you know. Um, and you hear the first song, you know, uh, and I'm trying to think. If it was in the streaming era, you might have put it on and what the fuck's going on? And the way he sings, you know, um, for all I know, I might have been like, nope, screw this. This is weird. I don't like this. But instead, I got it and I like really had a chance to let it sink in. And now it's like, you know, one of my favorite records. But I'm just glad that I got to experience it that way and not like the way most people do now yeah i found it so it's just called cassette sampler and it came out in 95 what's the track list and i think what happened was i mail ordered something from rev and they put this this cassette in with the mail order with the stuff i ordered which would have been both far side albums and something else uh and so it's far side page engine kid windshield shades apart menace Whirlpool, Blinding Light, Orange 9mm Driver, Civ, Can't Wait One Minute More, Inside Out, No Spiritual Surrender, Sensefield, Found You, Iceburn Collective, Stones, Into Another, which I think they were just Iceburn at the time, Into Another, Poison Fingers, and Quicksand, Clean Slate. It took me so long to become a fan of Quicksand and Into Another, and um, I think the other ones were pretty quick for me to get into but um i put in work to be fan to try, try to get myself to be fan of, of quicksand? yeah quicksand was a slow a, burn for me i love that song but like that wouldn't be the first quicksand song i would play for somebody and then i and then engine and then the song windshield by engine kid instantly loved it bought the cd thought to myself we, oh, I got gypped or I got duped. Gypped is is a bad term to use. Um, Windshield is the only good song on um, Angel Wings. It's the only good song. And so I returned it and I got my money back. And then a couple of years go by and I ha- I buy it again. And I'm like, okay, now I get it. Now I get the rest of the songs. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I don't know if you listened to episode 38 on angel wings they kind of talked about how that was that track was almost like a bait and switch it was like like, hey we'll get him in with this like kind of poppy song and then 
you know, it sounds nothing like anything else they did, but yeah, that's a great record. So that's yeah, a cool I, track list. And my, uh, fu- my funny Mark Anderson story is Greg uh, Anderson, Greg Anderson. Mark is a uh, positive force guy, right? Yeah. Javi, cut that part out. Okay, here's my story. Starting now, I'm at a bar. It's the early 2000s. And um, the bar closes, but I'm friends with like the the DJ, the resident DJ. So she's like, you, my friends can stay. My friends can stay. And so there's only like six of us in this bar. And there's this Hessian guy making out with this woman and he's wearing a blast. It's in my blood t-shirt. And I'm like, I love blasts. And he goes, me too. I grew up, grew up on that stuff. I'm like, where'd you grow up in Santa Cruz? And he goes, no Seattle. And I said, Oh man, I bet you like the accused. Oh yeah, I grew up on them too. And I'm like, what about that band Brotherhood? I'm kind of laughing because Brotherhood's this straight edge band. This guy's like drunk in a bar at like two in the morning. And he's like, that was my band. I was a guitar player, and and it was Greg Anderson. And That's I'm like, awesome. oh, I was like edged kid, and and his hot track. He told me his hot track that night, which is the second song on that on Angel Wings. I'm like, the second yeah, song you- on the CD which is the first song on the vine. Okay. But he's like, Holst, I'm like, Holst of Fightin's a good song. Cause at that point I was already a fan of the rest of the album. And he goes, yeah, that's my favorite song I ever wrote for, for uh, engine yeah. kid. So this is a wonderful addendum because he still <laughs> chose that as his hot track. Yeah. 20 and I, I years re- later. And I was listening to that, that episode and I'm like, is he going to pick holes to fighting? Yes, he is. Okay. And he did. Yeah. You know, I wanted to say on there, but I didn't want to nerd out too much and I'll end with this. That uh, to me, Brotherhood are a top tier straight edge band. I think that uh, they should have been as big as some of the ones on Revelation. Um, that's my opinion. If anyone agrees with me, hit us up. Uh, you can talk about it if uh, you hit our website, whereitwentpodcast.com, sign up to be a patron. We've got tons of bonus content. Tons of behind the paywall stuff. Uh, some real treats coming soon that I can't talk about. Um, and uh, we have a Discord and we can chat about Brotherhood if you like them as much as I do. Um, but yeah, I think they should have been just as big as like, you know, most of the Rev bands. Yeah, they, I, they're a really good band. Yeah. And my, they, my, they kind of did something. Di- I think it was cool because they were going for more of that Boston sound. Yep, yeah. Um, and uh, they're just awesome. So and, and and I my roommate about fourteen years ago was Mark Holcomb from the band Undertow uh, and Shift. And one night I was like, you know what? I think Resolution's better than Brotherhood. He goes, No, Brotherhood's better. I sing backups on that out on that record. And and then. I, I said, okay, we're going to listen to them back to back. And we listened to Brotherhood and Resolution back to back. He goes, Brotherhood's better. But I thought that was funny. Like think? a little shootout. Like we did a little sh- a Seattle straight edge shootout with Mark Holcomb from Undertow. Do you um, still think that? Or do you, you, you go with Brotherhood now? Eh, probably. Maybe Brotherhood by a hair. But Resolution, that's another one. That's another great band. Same I need to get my hands. Yeah, I need to get my hands on that. So, well, all right, everybody. Thank you so much. Ben, thank you for uh, being a wonderful co-host. And uh, we will catch everybody next time. Rev 40, Shades Apart, save it. What's up, everybody? 
I hope you didn't miss me too much on this episode, but this is Javier, and I'm here to give a special bit of bow to our top-tier patrons. Billy Tanell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche, John, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Greg Jackson, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Maddie Cox, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. If you would like more information about how to support us every month on Patreon, please visit www.whereitwentpodcast.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bit of bow.